Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. And you're alive. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind, add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. It's April the 15th. Have you all paid your taxes? Because if you haven't, you should do that. Otherwise, they will fine you. They like doing that. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of Cosmic Cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's world, a world in which the people are crawling under the table, begging for crumbs, while the world controllers gorge themselves on our labors. However, I take hope because I know I'm not the only one who sees that as a problem, and I'm not the only one who is going to do something about it. People are waking up because surely I'm not the only one who refuses to cower in fear at the latest manufactured crisis and bend my knee in obedient servitude to the handful of world controllers who see us as cattle to be herded every which way that pleases them, pending our demise by whichever means they favor at the time. Perhaps an artificially created disease, or perhaps the destruction of mankind, will come at the hands of the artificially created cure for the disease. Well, I'm not actually anticipating the destruction of mankind. I think we're going to win this one. But I have to ask, why, oh why, do we still accept as truth everything our chosen mainstream media reports? Well, I suppose the answer to that is, and always has been, uh, one, lack of spiritual alignment. Two, not using our rational mind and our critical thinking skills. And three, fear. Fear of being ridiculed. Fear to look beyond the official narrative. People say, well, what if I'm wrong? Well, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, I would never die for my beliefs. As I say, I might be wrong. We could all be wrong. It's all awareness. It's all perception. But don't be afraid to think. Don't be afraid to explore. Surely we've figured out by now that truth is, quite often as it is now, stranger than fiction. So here on Metaphysical Martini, we like to enjoy a good tipple, and we have our rally cry of awaken, oh my people. Awaken, do not follow the path of the sheeple, and do not give your God cause to weeple. Interesting times, difficult times, challenging times, transformative times, and as always, we're going to do Everything that we do with as much grace and empathy as we can muster on any given day and 
always, always with a positive outlook, but not a Pollyanna outlook. So here's something I came across the other day, um, a short piece. The author has chosen to remain anonymous, and that's perfectly fine, of course. But I want to share this piece with you because it's something to think about. It's a point to ponder. Some people resonate with this. Some people are very angered by it. A sip of my martini. I'll be right back. Mm, lovely. So I want to read it with you. Um, read it for you. And just, just listen. See how you feel about it. We are seeing the most draconian measures enforced at all levels of government that we have ever seen in our lifetimes. And yet, rather than being alarmed by the things going on, so many of you applaud. People are being arrested for spending too much time outside, and you applaud. Pastors are being arrested for daring to hold church services, and you applaud. A child's birthday party is raided by police, and you applaud. A young woman is ticketed for going on a leisurely drive alone because it's deemed non-essential travel, and you applaud. A parade of school teachers and administrators who wanted to drive through neighborhoods and wave at children is busted up by cops because they were non-essential, and you applaud. A lone paddleboarder in the ocean on a beach without any other people around is arrested because he's violating quarantine orders, and you applaud. People are being denied life-saving medical treatments because they are not a priority right now. They're deemed non-essential by the government as the entirety of our medical system is focused on just one thing, and you applaud? Businesses are being forcibly closed and padlocked, and owners arrested for refusing to shut down, and you applaud. Dairy farmers, and soon other farmers, are being incentivized to stop dairy farming and to sell their herds, and you don't seem to understand the implications of that. You are being told to use hotlines and online forms provided by your local governments to report your neighbours who don't obey and you comply. You scold people day after day for not obeying government edicts, and if any of us dare to question what's happening, you lecture about how we're a danger to society and we just don't care about people dying. You've somehow managed to convince yourselves that the people whose lives are affected by a virus are much more important than the people whose lives are being destroyed and in many cases leading to death by the effects of a worldwide economic shutdown and impending worldwide depression the likes of which no one has ever seen before. One has to ask, at what point will you start questioning what's going on? How far does the government have to push before you're jolted awake from your slumber? How far are you willing to go with this? 
if they told you to load your families onto train cars so that uh, you could be taken to virus protection facilities for your own safety, would you do it? Yes. Yes, you would. Because that much has become painfully obvious to me. And the whole time you'd be shaking your finger and yelling at those of us who refused, accusing us of being a danger to society and not caring if people die. But you see, they don't have to load you onto train cars and take you to virus protection facilities or force you to comply because you do that voluntarily because they control your mind. They control you through fear. They control you by convincing you that the world is a scary, dangerous place, but they're here to protect you, care for you, and keep you safe just as long as you obey, 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 obey. They know that as long as you're locked inside your comfortable home with a Netflix, a Hulu, a Facebook, a Twitter, Instagram, cell phone, while dangling a $1,200 check in front of you like a carrot on a stick, you'll comply. No force is necessary for the majority of the herd. You are imprisoned, willingly, and you're too blind to see it. Now, that's a pretty powerful piece. I don't know who wrote it, but if they hadn't, I would have written some version of it or another. And I want to thank my fellow social media warrior of the light, Greg Canton, for bringing this to my attention. Greg, you rock, and thank you for your service to humanity. Folks, these are epic times, light versus dark. It's a time where we have the opportunity to transform, to reclaim our minds and build a proper world, a world based on fair and equitable values. Let's not waste it. Let's not be afraid to ask the difficult questions, because very shortly, some very difficult truths will be brought to light and we're going to have to deal with it. Okay, peeps, it's time to move on to questions, answers, and comments. You know, that's initially why I started this show. I want to know what you, the people, think. I want to know if you, the people, think. So send your questions and your comments to arnie at com. If you prefer snail mail, and I have to say, I do enjoy the postcards you send me of your hometowns. It's such a pleasure for me to receive those and to bask in the glow of your of your civic pride. So don't stop that. I love that. So if you're going to send me postcards or letters, Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, like the tennis racket, Oregon, 97070-USA. And uh, just a very quick hello also to the people who keep in touch, just to say hello via email and on the YouTubes. Um, you know, I'll shout out to my friend, uh, uh, where are you? You're in Brooklyn on the Hudson. Cosmic Koala, great fun chatting with you last week. Uh, love your videos on YouTube. Thanks for keeping in touch. Really appreciate it and really appreciate the feedback. Okay. First question for today comes from Lucinda from Bellevue, Washington. 
Dear Arnie, what if when this whole virus fiasco is over, the dark hats win the game? What then? What if we can't travel, buy food or anything else without mandatory vaccinations? What then? This is a possibility, isn't it? Well, Lucinda, all things are possible. We live in a universe of infinite possibilities. But nothing really happens without our consent. If we, en masse, refuse to comply and take to the streets, as they did in Europe, presumably here wearing our yellow vests emblazoned with the stars and stripes, in our tens of millions, well, we outnumber the establishment and all of the establishment's service personnel. Let's not forget, uh, the people of France did an excellent job scaring the poop out of the cabal with their demonstrations. And they weren't even armed, except with baguettes and fruit tarts, because, you know, they're French. And, you know, and that's why we have this pandemic, not because of the baguettes and the fruit tarts, because the French went out there day after day after day after day and protested the ridiculous impositions of their fascist government. So that's this pandemic right here, right now, because people in France and across Europe and Hong Kong, oh my God, let's not forget Hong Kong, went out there and told the establishment to stuff it. And I think the dark hats left it too late. They should have moved earlier with a full frontal assault on our sovereignty. They did the slow build covert activity, take over their minds until one day they'll wake up and they'll never wake up. They'll wake up and know that they're asleep forever. That's what they did. But you see, people are waking up, Lucinda, painfully slowly. But more people each day are figuring out that there's something not quite right about the current situation, that the official narrative does not fit the reality. So I say instead of waiting for an outcome, Instead of waiting for a savior to come and redeem us from the mess of our own making, let's be proactive. Let's take an example from the preppers and learn to be as self-sufficient as possible. Because a central slash global government will control everything, all supplies, all food distribution. And, you know, if we look back in history, we see that people have starved to death, but not always because there was no food. Generally, there is always food somewhere. It wasn't because there was no food. It was because the government refused to distribute the food. And if you study your history, you will see that in the most, you know, one of the most better, one of the better known ones, I think, here in America would be the Irish immigrants that all came after the potato famine. They had the one crop. It failed. People starved. There was food, but it wasn't distributed. And the Irish Catholics were boiling grass because that was the last thing left to eat and dying in agony, frothing green stuff out of their mouths. And factions of the Protestants said, well, we'll give you soup if you change your religion. It's always a control thing. Do not ever trust your government, ever. Learn to be as self-sufficient as possible. So right now, okay, Lucinda, let's get to know our neighbors. Let's learn the flavor of the community we live in. Who are the free thinkers who will support us 
And who are the ones entrenched in fear who will report us to Big Brother for doing something as sinful as collecting rainwater? Now, I am hopeful. There's no point in living, actually, if you're not hopeful. But I don't expect to wake up tomorrow and hear an announcement that Deep State and all the top players have been arrested or assassinated. That will be just lovely, but I don't expect it. And I don't expect the IRS to be dissolved overnight um, and all monetary and fiscal reform as per Nassara drain the swamp be implemented in a matter of days. I don't expect that to happen. But I do know the dark hats are fighting for their lives. I do know they are cornered. They are under attack. And when you're under attack, you are vicious. And they're still calling out for new world order, global governments, uh, you know, governance. And I just have to say, as they look around the world today and see the people compliant, sheltering in place without asking questions, wearing masks, standing six feet apart, admonishing their neighbors for taking a walk, snitching on their neighbors, hoarding toilet paper. Well, when the establishment see this, they too live in hope. They live in hope of maintaining their power base. So I don't expect dark to light overnight especially since the majority don't even know they are living in the dark. And it would be oh so lovely if JFK Jr. really did fake his own death to cheat Hillary Clinton out of the pleasure of murdering him. Uh, By the way, I think there's a very good chance all of that is true. But anyway, it would be wonderful if he made a dramatic comeback and announced the end of days of darkness and enslavement. But let's say that doesn't happen. Does it mean the dark hats have won? I don't think so. Because no matter what happens in the next month or so, something has changed. Something has shifted. The patriot movement, by the way, does exist. There exists a body of influential people that wish to restore America to the republic. America's sacred purpose Oh, God, do I talk about this? How often do I talk about this? I speak from my shaman training here. It's to promote unity through diversity. The American experiment is to create a mosaic, not some homogenized, dehumanized goo like New World Order want, a beautiful mosaic. Everyone plays a part. Everyone is of equal importance. Everyone contributes to the glory of our national sovereignty. And we destroy unethical marketing, the mark of the beast. 99% of all marketing and advertising will cease to exist in the way that it does. With the disappearance of this beast of marketing, the people are no longer subjected to commercials that incite fear, unwarranted need, rage, greed, dysfunctional desire. All of this is possible, but all we have to do is remove the banks behind the banks that keep us divided and in debt. So, Lucinda, take heart. I can't answer your question because it hasn't happened. So let's touch base in a month or so and thank you for your question because the same question is on many people's minds. 
And in conclusion, I sound like a priest there. <clears throat> in conclusion, my brethren, <laughs> please, people, grow up and take control of your country. Stop looking for a savior and stop asking me what happens when or what happens if. And stop asking me what I think. What I think is irrelevant. What you think, that's your reality. It's up to we, the people, to answer that question of what happens. It's up to us to make what we want happen. Righty-ho. Thank you, Lucinda. Moving on. And is this a question? I don't know. Let's take a look. This is from Bertrand in Montreal. Bonjour, Bertrand. Bertrand says, I believe the unleashing of this virus was designed to terrify, kill, to impoverish and generally collapse life as we know it. Once enough people are dead and more are sick, waiting to die. Once society as we know it collapses, whoever is left will beg the government to care for them. End game complete. Humans are slave for another 1000 years. The reptiles win. Mother Earth is raped. Raped. What was the point? Gosh, Bertrand, you're having a bad day. <laughs> what is the point of any experiment? To see what works and what doesn't. You know, can't answer that. It's not a question. Thank you for your comments. But I will say, Bertrand, that I believe that on the other side of this, we will be singing the anthem of your French ancestors. Um, gosh, how does it how does it go? Uh, Allons enfants de la patrie, le jour de gloire est arrivé. Contre nous de la tyrannie, l'étendard sangla est levé. Ô âmes citoyens, formez-vous, formez vos bataillons. Marchons, marchons, qu'un sang impur abreuve nos sillons. Uh, I think that's right. I apologize to anybody who's a French speaker. If it isn't, it's been a long time. But uh, courage, my friend. Um, courage. All shall be well. Okay, uh, here's a question from Lika in the Netherlands. Lika. I wonder if that's short for Angelica. Okay, Lika says, Suburban Shaman, you talk often about America's sacred purpose. But if we look at her history, it paints a different picture, doesn't it? Europeans went there, murdered the natives, took possession of resources. Then slaves were imported from the Africas and made to work the land. How is this unity through diversity? And how do we make right the wrongs? I read your newsletters and I feel, with respect, you trivialize the wrongs of the world. Ah, okay. Well, um, Lika, unity through diversity right now in its perfected state, uh, clearly it is not. But that does not alter America's original sacred purpose. Yes, Europeans came. Uh, who was it? I mean, well, the Vikings came first, didn't they? They did stuff in Newfoundland, but they didn't do too much else. Uh, then who came? The Spanish came, I think, as early as the late 16th century and to explore and claim whatever resources they could find. And then the British came and they were seduced by the vast numbers of untouched forests. And they had a huge navy and they needed a certain type of timber for the masts on their ships. And once they got here, they saw that the entire American continent was a cornucopia of untouched resources and commerce was king as it still is. Yes, yes, I, I acknowledge all that. And slavery is abhorrent, 
abhorrent to any civilized society, of course. And of most certainly genocide was perpetrated. But the fact that these things happened does not alter America's sacred purpose. It does amaze me, as it does all students of history, as we study history through the ages, how humans constantly choose greed, brute force and corruption over civility and cooperation. I mean, wouldn't you think the latter components would oil the wheels of trade to everyone's advantage? But no, apparently we have to make our point by using violence and other obscene gestures. How do we right the wrong? Hmm, let me take a sip of my martini here. Hmm. Okay. What is there to make right after all these years? I mean, the way I see it, the common people who colonized America, and I'm not talking about the state-sanctioned trading companies and uh, their militias, but the young families who came later on, who left the only homes they had ever known, who came out here to make a new life for themselves, a better life for themselves, their families, their children. They didn't come here to massacre indigenous populations or to start international commercial enterprises. They came to experience a new type of freedom. Freedom from religious persecution. Freedom from excessive taxation. Freedom from, gosh, a cramped, dirty, stinking, overcrowded, disease-ridden European cities. They wanted the magic of a few acres of their own to grow whatever the land might give them. The freedom to hunt game without the threat and consequences of trespassing on some titled rich bloke's land. They truly came for the new world, a golden world, a world of unlimited possibilities. They had no real knowledge of the indigenous culture. A lot of these people couldn't even read or write, remember, but they would have been told that the native people were nothing more than savage barbarians. And I think we all know how quick people are to believe the mainstream narrative, because it's the same thing today, isn't it? Believe what you are told, conform, obey, consume. And as for trivializing the wrongs, you know, I, I can understand why you might get that impression, because I do like to say make pass with the peace, but move on and be in the now. But I, I beg to differ that I don't trivialize the wrongs, especially I don't trivialize slavery and genocide. As an Armenian, um, one and a half million Armenians who lived as second class citizens under the Ottoman Empire were slaughtered in the 1915 genocide. It is not exactly a trivial matter. And I don't pretend it doesn't, it hasn't happened. But my point is this. Whew, it's 2020. Should I seriously put my life on hold and engage in perpetual grieving? Because if I do, then it's still happening. But it's not, is it? Because it's 2020. It's not 1915. And for Americans, it's 2020. It's not 1707. I mean, the perpetrators of the obscenities are long dead, and the victims are at peace, presumably in heaven. 
And I might add, um, from my perspective anyway, and you can, you know, translate this to your perspective, but uh, with regard to the Armenian genocide, the Turkish establishment deny the genocide to this day, even with what we consider to be unimpeachable evidence to the contrary. And I assume they will deny it until the way we run our world changes. Does that bother me? I mean, it would be nice to acknowledge the truth, but no, it doesn't bother me. I'm not in charge of writing the Turkish national narrative. I have no option but to let people believe what they want to believe. And I don't want my great-grandfather's tractor back or his lands. And I don't require the Turkish youth of today to apologize for what their fathers did. I would consider that to be dysfunctional. I'd like everyone to know what they did. I'd like history to be properly written. But it's done with. And you're never going to be functional in the present moment if you're dragging the past and recreating that energy in you as if it's still happening. So that's the point I wanted to make. I don't think I trivialize it. I just want us to move on. I don't want to live in the past. I want to create a pleasing vibration in the now. And I want that for everyone. So the Irish have a saying. The Irish have many sayings. But my favorite one is, let's start from where we are. We can choose to restore America to her sacred purpose right here, right now. If we choose to dwell on past events, to recreate the past in the now, we will forever be entrenched in the false ego and the cycle of retribution, and we will never move on to alignment. So I advise, I advise we acknowledge the past. Make every effort to learn from it. But holding dead people accountable for their crimes doesn't work because, you see, they are dead. So let's take a moment, all of us, and let's absolve everyone of every crime or error in perception, as we say in my trade. Everyone do some deep breathing. We're going to do an affirmation now. I'm going to do some deep breathing and take a sip of this excellent martini. Oh, my golly, that's good. Okay. Deep breath. Relax. In this moment, as in every moment, I am aligned with all that is. From the beginning of time to this moment, I ask for and accept absolute and unconditional forgiveness for all errors in perception and action committed by any manifestation of myself at any time, on any realm, for any reason. I do this for my highest good and therefore for the betterment of mankind. And in this moment, as in every moment, I am aligned with all that is. From the beginning of time to this moment, I extend absolute and unconditional forgiveness to all who have erred in perception and action against any manifestation of myself at any time, on any realm, for any reason. I do this for their highest good and therefore for the betterment of mankind. Thus are all ancestral and generational lines cleared, and we live in the perfect peace of the eternal now. Amen. Blessed be. We are one. Ah, do you all feel better? I feel better. We have just forgiven everyone for everything through all generations of time and space. And now we are at perfect peace in the eternal now. Let's focus with what's in front of us. 
What's in front of me is an exceptional martini, and I have no problem focusing on that. Okay. Onward, I think we have some other questions. Uh, Ani, you speak out without hesitation against mandatory vaccinations. I can understand your position and agree with the points you make, RE Medical Freedom. State-enforced immunization aside, what are your views on vaccination in general? Boy, does this trigger people. Okay, well, since you asked, um, and you don't want me to give your name, but I know who you are because you came to my office the other day. (laughs) Well, since you asked, as an energy worker, as a sovereign being and as a citizen, I am against all vaccination. I'm not saying I want my opinion legislated or forced on others, far from that. But I will explain to you briefly why I have come to this conclusion. And again, speaking as someone who works with the energy field and not as someone who works with the meat body. The human body was designed to adapt. That ability, that intelligence is the core coding of our evolution. The way I see it, if the body cannot adapt and function effectively in its chosen environment, it serves no purpose and it will cease to function. It will die. That's the model. Now, every disease will run its course, just as every storm runs out of wind and rain. During times of plague, let's say, those who adapt survive. Those who do not adapt will not survive very generously, leaving more resources for those who did survive. And those who survive will have stronger immune systems. Their biocoding has been upgraded, and this information is available to be passed on to their progeny. In all things, it is always better, a better option to go with the flow of your environment than against it. Now, our human bodies were designed to house our souls for temporary jaunts into physical worlds. It was therefore designed to learn to adapt and to evolve. There exists in the heart of source energy, and therefore in our personal intelligence, the blueprints for the original divine DNA RNA codes of perfection. And that is why I chant the most sacred words You are as perfect as the moment of your creation during all of my healing sessions. If we were birthed according to the ancient wisdom, we would have stronger, resilient immune systems. You see, the cord should not be cut quickly after birth. The ancient wisdom, the codes of immunity, uh, stem cells, all of that, we call it now, should be given time to pass from mother to child. Even though the child has been inside the mother for months, the download of coded information is not complete until the child exits the birth canal. And that's another reason I have to say with cesarean births, of course, if there's an emergency, if life is in danger, it must be done, but it should never be done for convenience only because it does mess up the coding. The other thing I wish to state is, um, well, the number of jabs given to newborns today, I think, is obscene and criminal because the materials injected into the infant corrupt the codes and prevent the body from using its God-given internal intelligence. 
you know, the action of injecting the infant with so many toxic materials, that's what corrupts the coding. And then it prepares the infant for a lifetime of dependency as a cash cow for the modern medical industry. And it does baffle me, I have to say, why people do not think this is a problem. Corrupting codes designed to facilitate a functional life, why would you mess with that? Well, if you follow the agenda, you'll follow the money and you'll get the answer to that question. And something else that we see a lot of that we didn't see before, autoimmune disease. So when I speak with a body that has been diagnosed with this affliction, the body says to me, oh, I'm not capable of attacking myself. I was not designed to harm myself. My codes were corrupted. I deal with it through energy work by affirming the original blueprints of perfection. You know, coding is fluid and it can be overwritten. I guess I could ask the CDC this question. If mass vaccination is truly for the betterment of mankind, and you believe this to be true, and therefore you push for the criminal action of forced vaccination, if this were to take place, but not one penny flowed into your coffers, not one penny from the manufacturer, the distribution, not one penny to you or any member of the medical community was to be made from these products, would you still promote it as an efficacious protocol? I think not. I think the very last thing on your minds is the betterment of mankind. I also think how very grateful for God's mercy you will be when the moment of your reckoning comes. So that's how I feel about that. All right, my darlings, time to lighten up a little bit. Sipping my martini, and we are back to our regular scheduled programming. Thank heavens. So what's next on our list? Hopefully something cheerful. Oh, it's Tarot A Go Go. Yes, folks, it's time for Tarot A Go Go. A little shenaniganer with the major arcana, major arcana. Today's card hopefully is a happy one. Oh, no, it's not. It's number 15, the devil. <laughs> so let's take a look at this card and see what we can make of it. For those of you who have uh, not tuned into this channel before, we use the Rider weight deck. Don't much care for the Rider weight deck, but we started using it because it's the most commonly known. So we're going to stick with it. The devil. There in the middle of the card, there he is, sitting there on a black throne with a five-pointed pentagram upside downish above his head. So beneath him stand a woman and a man, both with chains around their necks, both chained to the black throne. Ooh. But if we look closely, those chains are anything but tight. They can easily be slipped over the neck. And both man and woman can walk away from the black throne and exit the pit of hell. So very clear symbolism here, really. Most chains, they are of our own making. The only prison is the one within our mind. 
What does this card tell us then? It tells us that far too often we humans are wrapped up in our material journey. We hold on to things. We become dysfunctional in our attachment to things and to belief systems. This causes stress, and stress is a dysfunctional relationship with time. And when we are stressed, we lose empathy. We become selfish. And when we act in selfish ways, we lose track of the bigger picture. And when we lose track of the bigger picture, our world becomes smaller and smaller. We become bogged down and locked down in fear. Hmm, where have I heard that before today? Our souls cry out for help to dissolve the illusion of lack from the human pain body. But more often than not, this is not successful. More often than not, we humans have been carefully trained to equate success with the accumulation of material goods. So should you pick this card, you want to ask yourself the following. When was the last time I reevaluated my goals? Is the world around me changing rapidly while I am lost somewhere in the backwoods? Is this current track really what I want? Or am I desperately trying to fulfill the expectations of others, parents, guardians, employers, ooh, societal norms, open brackets, close brackets? Am I setting standards for myself that are, quite frankly, too high? Because that in itself is a form of self-sabotage and imprisonment. I would ask myself if I picked this card on a scale of one to ten, how stubborn am I? <laughs> how resistant to change am I? Am I confusing greed with success? And am I confusing need with ambition? Is it time to confront my inner demons? And uh, do I have unresolved guilt issues? Uh, the answer to that for just about everybody, by the way, is yes. How about addictions? Unhealthy habits? Are they getting in the way of my living a functional, harmonious life? Am I stuck in an abusive relationship? And if so, why have I not left yet? Am I addicted to abuse? It's a difficult question, but it's more common than you would think. Perhaps I'm the bully. Do I use my power to manipulate others? Why am I so anxious? Why am I overly concerned? What am I overly concerned with? Am I afraid someone might find my Achilles heel? Do you believe that suffering is necessary? To what extent? Do you feel that perhaps you deserve to suffer, to be punished in some way? That's an aspect of this devil card. Really, I think what we're looking at here is uh, what fears and hang-ups are in my inner closet. So when we pick the devil, it's time to clean house. And if we pick this house, uh, this card reversed, 
It could still mean all of the above that we discussed, but in a lesser sense, more of a warning. But it could also mean you've made the decision to be released from your bondage. Reading cards is not a matter of looking up the meaning in a book. You have to develop a relationship with your tarot cards. You have to touch them daily, speak with them, meditate with them. You have to let them speak with you. It's an ongoing relationship. You must treat them with respect. Number 15, the devil, the devil. You know, when I look at this particular card on this particular deck, the image of the devil resembles the Satan figure from the South Park television series. I don't know if any of you have seen that or not. It's a very, very irreverent program. It's a cartoon, but it's an equal opportunity lampooner. And in this one, uh, the devil is having a relationship with uh, Saddam Hussein. And Saddam Hussein is the dominant partner. And the devil's a bit of a, of a, of a sissy. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't checked it out and you want a good laugh, go for that. Just reminds me of that. Number 15, the devil. Woohoo! All right, and that's it for Tarot A Go-Go today. So what should we do now? Ah, yes, I think we will do, let's do poetry. And now, folks, it's time for a tiny pat of poetry. Yes, my friends, after a hard day's shamaning, I like nothing better than coming home to a nice cup of tea or a small drinky-poo and writing really bad but occasionally brilliant non-peer-reviewed poetry. So should I take the credit for this next poem? I don't know, because it was actually written sort of in a channeled way by an E.T. friend of mine that he's not interested in copyright, etc. So I guess I get to take the credit for it. So he's a field intelligence officer for the Ashtar Command. And he comes down, he looks around, and then he reports back to his commander up on the big ship. Uh, he does this every day. What, what is the mood of the people du jour? And this is his poem about what he's seeing. And it's not judgmental because they're really, they're fourth dimensional beings and they're above that. But uh, hmm, anyway, I'll let you make up your own mind on it. Um, so today's offering is titled Sigh Has the Great Awakening Passed You By? They are standing in line, six feet apart, waiting for someone who is still employed to sanitize a cart. Following the orange arrows like obedient, subservient minions, how long did it take for them all to give up on forming objective opinions? Somewhere along the way, they lost their rational minds. Can they not see how downtrodden they look, standing in line for paper with which to wipe their behinds? Created from stardust and adored by their creator, now they give each other the stink eye and call those without masks criminal and traitor. In a world of unlimited potential to be explored with joy and civility, they have downgraded their options to nothing more than fear and sheer stupidity. Time and time again, their rulers inflict the wound 
and then provide the ointment. Since they cannot see this simple truth, it is difficult for me to find the words to express my disappointment. Oh, people, my brothers and sisters, we have made the aliens very, very sad. They don't want us to stand in line and follow the little orange thingies. They don't want us to stand in line for toilet paper or whatever the government tells us they consider to be necessary items. They want us to awaken. So awaken because you're pissing off the aliens. And that's not good because they're here to help us. So thank you very much for indulging me in that. And now we shall move on to the cryptic mystic. Yes, folks, a new section, a new segment, and we will alternate that with Plato Chips, our philosophy corner. So we're going to feature a mystic. And we did Hildegard van Bingen, von Bingen last time, who's just one of my faves. Another one of my faves, but somebody we have very little history on, is a lady called Julian of Norwich. And she was circa 1342 to 1416. And almost nothing is known about her except through the book that she wrote, The Revelations of Divine Love, widely acknowledged as one of the great classics of spiritual life. Also, we think she's the first woman to write a book in English that has survived to this day. So that's exciting. We don't know her name, but her name, Julian, is taken from St. Julian's Church in Norwich, a very pretty part of England where she lived as an anchoress for most of her life. That's a woman who's given up secular life and attached herself to a religious order, not as a nun, but as a well-to-do wise woman. So we wouldn't know anything about her except for the book of Marjorie Kemp. Uh, so this is wonderful that we, we, we get to understand a little bit about Julian's great love for the divine because she was apparently an awesome spiritual counselor. People would come to her cell in Norwich to seek advice. And in that particular time in Norwich, 1342 onwards, they were going through the Black Plague. They were going through the Peasants' Rebellion. Uh, times were hard. There was poverty. There was still plague. Everyone was confused and angry and bitter. And Julian would have been there to provide solace. And she is so, her writings are so infused with hope and God's goodness. So the book, Revelations of Divine Love, that's based on a series of 16 visions she received uh, in May 1373. She thought she was dying at the time. She was on her deathbed and she had a vision of Jesus bleeding in front of her. And through this vision, this rather gory vision, she says she received insight into his sufferings and she understood how much he loved us. And through that suffering, her trust in God was reaffirmed and she had an understanding of what compassionate love really is. And through this vision, she realized that God can never be wrathful. For wrathfulness is contrary to the, to the peace and love that is in us. She just adored her relationship with the divine after these visions. And it gave her such insight into God's true spirit. 
one of the things I like about her so very much, um, she referred to Jesus as the great mother. Undoubtedly, she thought that no one could love as much as a mother and show such true compassion. So in order to teach people how much God loves them, she used the female experience of motherhood and invited them to explore God's love through, uh, you know, through that reference. So there are two versions of the divine love revelations, a short one and a long one. Please go ahead and when you buy it, buy the long one. Um, because it's not just a few sayings, but she describes her meditations and how they affected her. So we don't really know much about this woman. We, just, we, we really don't. We know she had a cat. <laughs> we have no idea what the cat's name is. Um, when I visited, uh, you know, uh, Julian's place in Norwich, yeah, it was about 40 years ago now, uh, I, I named the cat Saint Tiddles. Because I don't know what it was called. And he would have been a pet, but more so at that time, it would have been for mouse and rat control, especially with the plague going on. And we know she had a maid, as any well-to-do woman would have someone to do her washing and help her to care. Uh, when you read the revelations of divine love, you will understand what an intelligent and sensitive woman she was, but also how practical and down to earth. And she always maintains God's goodness. So there's been quite a bit of interest in her recently. Um, she was not known for a very long time and her writings were, were quite obscure. Thank heavens for the Benedictine nuns who scribed her work. Uh, I want to share a few of her quotes. When you, when anyone who knows Julian of Norwich, usually they only know this one quote. It's very famous and it goes, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Um, and that's just a lovely saying, but there's so much more to her. One of her, one of my favorite ones is this. Pray inwardly, even if you do not enjoy it. It does good, though you feel nothing. Yes, even though you think you are doing nothing, it does good. So when you read her works, you'll have a different perspective on, I guess, what compassionate love is. Well, here's another one I wanted to share with you, a very short and very profound quote of hers. Between God and the soul, there is no between. Isn't that marvelous? She does not think that you have to go through intermediaries to get to the divine, to talk to the divine. You don't have to jump through heaps, or hoops even, or heaps of hoops, or hoops of heaps to get to the divine. You want just direct spiritual alignment, direct knowing. God adores you, and that is all you need to know. Beautiful. Julian of Norwich, I strongly recommend you go out and buy her books. Uh, there's so much more I could tell you about her. Um, but I won't <laughs> because I want to move on to the next thing. Uh, actually, there's not that much more I can tell you about her. What I could do is wax lyrical on her writings, what they are, 
quote them to you, tell you my interpretation of them and suggest meditations because she's a very big part of my life. But in terms of historical reference, there's very little. So Julia of Norwich, Divine Revelations of Love, go out and get it, people, and you will not be sorry. All right. We're not quite done with our time, but getting close to. I'd like to do a very short version of the Wizard's Gizzard, a little spiritual ritual that you can make habitual. But this time on the Wizgiz, I think I'd like to suggest something very practical. Going back to watching all those people standing in line to get food and necessities, whatever that means to anyone. Boy, don't you wish you had listened to some of your prepper friends? Don't you wish that you grew some microgreens or a tomato plant or two, something on your balcony? Don't you wish you had visited your community garden? And don't you wish that you were a little bit more self-sufficient? What I'm recommending that people do is to take a look at basic emergency kits. Let's do this, people. Let's say you need mandatory in your house a 30-day emergency kit, no matter what the emergency is. And that's not just food, batteries, flashlights, first aid, sanitation things, perhaps the odd um, mask or two, uh, a toolkit, corkscrew for your wine, manual can opener for food, um, cell phone chargers, not all of those, you know, all of those basic things. I would also look at water filters. There's military grade water straws that you can drink raw sewage from. Let's hope it never comes to that. I have a Berkey filter, B-E-R-K-E-Y. You can literally take that down to the river and fill it up. And in no time at all, you've got fresh water. Make a list of anything that you and your family cannot be without for 30 days. That includes prescription medications, glasses, contact lenses, infant formula, anything, cash, traveler's checks, sleeping bags, everything and anything. Put together, get together as a family and put together a list of what you would need if distribution and chain supply and electricity and martial law are all imposed at the same time. How would you survive? That's a very important one for the wizard's gizzard. And you also want to make sure that you have a 72-hour kit for your office and a 72-hour kit for the back of your automobile. And this is something that my partner and I do. We are very well prepared for this type of eventuality. And let me add my little extra to this. When you are putting your food together, because that's probably going to be the bulk of your kit, if you don't like tinned sardines today, you are not going to like tinned sardines tomorrow when the grid goes down, there's martial law, and you can't get to the store. So there's a lot of options out there for tinned, canned, dehydrated food that's actually palatable. Please do not just do meals ready to eat. They will kill you, quite literally. They will um, rot out your guts. You want those things to be at the very bottom of your kit. If you like chocolate, put chocolate in your emergency kit. I have 12 bottles of Irish whiskey in mine because you never know. I might want to drink them. I might also want to use them to trade with other people. 
So make sure that your emergency kit is not something that when you open it up, it fills you with doom and gloom. And something else, a little shaman's touch on this. For a 30-day emergency kit, get 30 little envelopes and 30 little cards. And on each card, write something uplifting and inspirational and affirming. Put that in the envelope and mark them day one to 30. And every evening together as a family or every morning, if you want to uplift you, open that card during the emergency and share the uplifting message. That goes a long way. Okay, so visit some prepper sites and some homesteading sites. Learn to ferment your own vegetables because that could literally save your life. Investigate solar ovens. And please prepare now so that you won't be at the mercy of the establishment when and if this happens again. Ooh, I think I did it. Yes, my darlings, I think that's it for today. If you're interested in other aspects of my work, and why wouldn't you be, visit my website, arnieavidician.com, and sign up for my newsletter, Monday Messages. It comes out on the first Monday of each month. It's short, it's sweet, and like me, it's full of buttery goodness. I also have my own YouTube channel. Just pop my name in the YouTube search bar and knock yourselves out. And you can also join me on the second Saturday of each month on the Say What show right here on Cosmic Reality Radio with my co-hosts, Jolly Dolly Howard and Fancy Nancy Hopkins. I'll be back with another martini in hand on Wednesday, April 29th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, that'll always be available a few days later on YouTube. But we are all done for today. And today's real life martini was three parts Tanqueray Sterling Vodka. Tanqueray Sterling Vodka is made from pure grain spirit, distilled at high proof and carefully, carefully distilled a second time in a 220 year old copper pot still. And one part today I used a Lillet Blanc aperitif instead of my regular vermouth. And I must say, this Lillet stuff is wonderful. Lillet Blanc, made of 85% white wine from Bordeaux, aged in oak, with the remaining amount of fruit liqueur based on both bitter and sweet oranges. Fruit and peels macerated separately. Fancy that. And of course, quinine in case you have, you know, malaria. And it's then aged in oak barrels for 8 to 12 months before being blended into a Solera system, I have no idea what that is, with older versions of Lillet. Lillet Blanc is gold in color and clear, with aromas and flavors of honey, citrus, mint, and pine. It is both lightly sweet and bitter, 34 proof. I, wow, It's delicious, people. It's my new favorite. No more vermouth for me. Lillet from now on. Folks, a reminder that cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. Although I'm probably going to have another one of these in just about a minute. I'm Ari Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.